This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate the latest adaptation of one of Marvel's premier cosmic concepts, we're diving into their best comic book stories. What? Eternals? No, I'm talking about the Flarkin Guardians of the Galaxy. Join me as I count down my top five Guardians of the Galaxy comics. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is celebrating the Guardians of the Galaxy. I know that intro was a little mean, but I'm just, I'm not a huge Eternals guy. And the uh, the trailer is, the trailer looks very pretty, the movie looks very good, um, but I just, when it comes to the comics, I just, I cannot get into you know, knockoff fourth world. I'm sorry, I just can't, but luckily... Alongside Eternals, which is dropping this week, last week we got the release of the Guardians of the Galaxy video game. And oh boy, have I been loving it. It is so good, y'all. I cannot even quantify how much I'm loving this game. I am, I think, nearing the end. I think I'm like three quarters of the way through the game, and I've just been loving everything about it from the dialogue the writing is so good the gameplay is really fun i didn't know how i was going to feel about just playing a star lord but it's kind of like if you combined uncharted with mass effect is kind of how i feel the guardians of the galaxy game uh kind of plays so the game also really heavily pulls from the comics more so than i expected it to and that kind of gave me the idea to talk about my favorite guardians of the galaxy comics so this week that is what we are going to be diving into we of course also have the latest weekly review on the newest episode of doom patrol dc's guardians of the galaxy if you may it you don't it's 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 very different teams, but I'm very excited to talk about this week's episode. It was wild. And of course, we also have this week's Comics Countdown, where I talk to you about all the comics you should be picking up this week. But before we get into that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Not as much news as last week. I'll just go ahead and preface that. We were doing a lot of catch-up last week, and it was just a giant-sized amount of news. But this week, much smaller, much more bite-sized. Uh, we're going to go ahead and kick things off with film news. Two pieces of film news here. First off, something I'm very excited about, Boondock Saints. Boondock Saints is one of my favorite films uh, from when I was younger, surprisingly, because it's very gruesome. Um, the sequel was fine. It didn't really have the kind of magic that the first film did. But our merry heroes 
Broncos are going to get a third try at it because Boondock Saints 3 officially has gotten the green light. Everything is a go, and they're going to be bringing back all our boys, and I'm very excited about this. Really excited to see what they do with this, and hopefully, fingers crossed, it feels more like the first movie than the second. We also got a brand new trailer for Morbius, that film that has been just coming out at some point it says it's coming out in january we'll see but the trailer um the trailer for me it looked fine it looked fine it looked very much in the same vein as like a blade or like an early two, like a daredevil from like 2003 or like venom which is interesting because they decided to go just balls to the wall they said forget ambigu ambiguity this takes place in the same world as Venom. It just does. Um, they pulled no punches. They referenced the events in San Francisco. They even have Morbius at the end of the trailer. You know, he's like some muggers trying to get him. And he's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Venom. Blah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm Dr. My Michael Morbius. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, they showed Michael Keaton again. So I'm assuming this is going to be a variant of... Um, or an alternate of the vulture in this universe. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to expect from this film. I think there's a lot of questions. I think it looks fine. Um, Jared Leto's a psychopath, so you can never really um, prepare yourself for anything that he does. It's got some really interesting... Um, Supporting cast as well. Uh, Matt Smith, uh, as far as I know, is playing the villain. There's Jared Harris in this movie as well. And then I saw Tyrese. Like, what's Tyrese doing here? But um, the film looks fine. Nothing, you know, out of the ordinary. And hopefully, uh, hopefully it's a, it's a fine film. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Hopping over to TV news, two more trailers got released. First, Witcher Season 2 got its final trailer, which finally gave us what we've been asking for, Jaskier. Jaskier, we finally got to see him. He's looking a little scruffy, but I'm very excited to know for certain, to actually see him, that he is there and that he will be participating very excited to see that uh looks good looks like more of what we loved about the first season and i can't wait to watch it we also got the first trailer at all of the book of boba fett which is dropping uh december 29th i believe so very end of the year and it looks good um, it very much, you know, is taking the same kind of vibe, same kind of palette as uh, The Mandalorian, but going into the more criminal side of it, which I'm okay with. I want to explore that. I want to see what the criminal underworld was like post uh, episode six, and Boba Fett is the perfect character to go through this. But of course, Ming-Na Wen is the star here. So I'm very excited to see both of them uh, continue this story, and I'm interested to see what the story actually ends up being. They hinted at, you know, Boba Fett trying to, like, unify the, um, the underworld crime bosses, but is that going to be the plot? We don't really know yet. So I'm interested to see what they do and how they're going to wrap this story up. Uh, when it comes to comic book news, no, nope, you know what? We're going to skip over that real quick because that's very exciting. I don't want to talk about it. I'm going to take a second. But uh, one quick piece of uh, miscellaneous news, video game news specifically, uh, Avengers, Marvel's Avengers, which has been real quiet 
real quiet since Guardians of the Galaxy came out. I know I keep harping on it, but this is the Guardians of the Galaxy episode, and the game is so good. The game is so much better than, than Avengers. I'm sorry it is, but uh, Avengers actually did something very good. Uh, Avengers announced on uh, Tuesday morning that they are backtracking. They had released these pay-to-win uh, consumables that you would pay to help your characters level up. Um, and this week they decided they're not going to do that anymore. So they've removed them to be, you know, they've removed the ability to purchase them from the marketplace. They are still earnable, but I think this is a step in the right direction. I'm, you know, like many people disappointed that it took them two weeks after everyone had a, the big blow up about it to address it and to do something about it. But Hopefully this means that they are going to continue to take uh, steps in the right direction. And hopefully we will eventually get a game that all of us can be happy with. But the big news of the week for me was the comic book news. Comic book news, um, you never cease to amaze. But this week was all about Iron Fist. Marvel released a promo image with the words iron fist no more with danny rand it's that classic spider-man no more homage with danny rand walking away from a dumpster with the iron fist costume hanging out of it and this we kind of knew was coming if you read uh, iron fist heart of the dragon which you should have i was talking all about it um you know that at the end of that story, Danny Rand gave up the Iron Fist, specifically to Okoye, who seems to have given it up. Um, so we don't know exactly what is next for Danny Rand, but we know what's next for the Iron Fist, because shortly after releasing the Iron Fist No More teaser, they released a new Iron Fist image. Uh, this one specifically uh, penned by um, Jim Chung, who also did the redesign for Shang-Chi. Uh, it looks amazing. This new Iron Fist um, is going to be debuting in February 2022 with the team of Alyssa Wong, who penned that awesome, uh, awesome uh, Shang-Chi one-shot earlier in the year, as well as artist Michael YG, who I'm not super familiar with. But this Iron Fist is Asian, boys and girls. Dark-haired, Asian features. We don't know. The teaser says, you know, does his power come from Shu Lao or does it come from something more sinister? So I don't know what this entails. I don't know what this means. All I know is that we're getting an Asian Iron Fist and we are successfully getting a Jean Lun Yang Shang-Chi and an Alyssa Wong Iron Fist and I am a happy boy. That is all I need. I love this. I love this idea. Um, it's been a long time coming. I love Danny Rand as a character in the comics. Um, he's fantastic, but with all of the, uh, and I don't, I don't want to say like the the socio political climate today, but the character, regardless of how you feel about it, was created in a time where it was totally okay to take a bunch of Asian um, culture and appropriate it for a blonde haired, blue eyed guy, and. It's not really that way anymore. Um, Danny, if anything, got a wonderful send-off with Heart of the Dragon. 
And I'm excited to see whether he goes off and does something else, whether he becomes a mentor for this new Iron Fist or what's going on with him. And getting an Asian Iron Fist just makes sense. It just makes sense. And I'm sure that this is going to be a synergy deal where whoever this new Iron Fist is, he's going to be the Iron Fist going forward in Disney+, Plus, in the movies, in whatever. So I am very excited to see what he does. I'm very excited to see how this character is going to impact the Marvel Universe and when eventually he's going to run up against Shang-Chi. It's going to be a fun time. I'm very excited to learn more about this new Iron Fist. Very much excited to learn more about where Danny Rand goes next. And overall, just very excited about Iron Fist in general. But that is going to do it for this week's news. And speaking of Marvel Comics, we are going to dive right into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is counting down my top five Guardians of the Galaxy comics. The Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel's premier spacefaring team, and really a team that went from Z-list to A-list over the course of this past decade. Uh, the Guardians have been a very interesting um, example of just how much a spotlight can be put on um, on a not super well-known property, and it can then be expanded into something that is main event level. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy were never, like, the huge premier Marvel um, Marvel offering when it came to comic book readers, when it came to the mainstream. But over the course of, really ever since the first film uh, released in 2014, Marvel has made as good an effort as it can to give us fantastic heavy hitter Marvel Guardians stories and it's interesting when you look back at the history of Guardians of the Galaxy as a team and as a concept. Uh, the first Guardians team was from the year 3000, featured characters like Major Victory, Yondu, Udanta before he was Michael Rookard, as well as Starhawk and all the other classic Guardians characters, and after a certain point in time, I think, I want to say like early to mid-90s, the Guardians were retired. They were brought back following the events of Annihilation Conquest, or really... They were brought, they were, the seeds were planted in Annihilation, and they were reborn in Annihilation Conquest, and ever since then, the Guardians have been here for, in one form or fashion or another, and... As the years have gone on and people have gotten used to the current uh, Guardians, I want to say, uh, status quo, the idea of the Guardians of the Galaxy 
being this premier Marvel team has given a lot of people the opportunity to now go back and reread some of those Guardians stories that may not have been at the forefront of their minds. And with the Guardians of the Galaxy video game, which is amazing and I can't stop saying enough good things about it, once again giving us a fantastic Guardians story, I thought it was the perfect time to talk about my top five Guardians of the Galaxy stories. Couple disclaimers here. First off, no, I have not yet read the Al Ewing uh, Guardians series that I have heard incredible things about. I am waiting for it to wrap up and then I'm going to read it all the way through. I am on a Guardians high uh, after playing this game and after rereading some of these stories for this episode. But another disclaimer, this is my personal list. This is my personal list. It is completely objective or subjective. Subjective is the word I'm looking for. So if you have a list that differs from mine, if there are stories that I leave off, feel free to let me know. If you want to reach out on the Twitter, on the Instagram, at Pod. If you want to send emails to me to tell me about your favorite Guardians of the Galaxy story, send emails to geeksplained at gmail.com. Let's get that conversation going. But that really does it for the... Um, for the preamble for the intro to this so let's go ahead and dive into it let's talk about my top five guardians of the galaxy stories starting off at number five i have a little bit of a cheat but this is star lord grounded i wanted to give myself one star lord focus story because the game does feature you playing as star lord specifically and i just love star lord grounded uh written by chip zadarsky with our by Chris Anka. I'll give you the quick synopsis and then talk about why I love this story. So the synopsis goes like this. Peter Quill might have been born on Earth, but he's been away a long time. And now that the Guardians of the Galaxy have gone and got themselves stranded on terra firma, how does a man go from soaring through the stars as the legendary Star-Lord to living with his feet planted firmly on the ground? What kind of job options are available for a guy whose resume mostly consists of guarding the galaxy? One thing is certain, Earth has a new Guardian. Also, a new bartender. So this was a six-issue limited series that kind of came out of the end of the Bendis run, where uh, right at the end of that, with the conclusion of Civil War II, which the Guardians got kind of pulled into, uh, they were stranded. The The Milano was destroyed. The Guardians uh, had a really bad falling out, so they all went their separate ways while they were all stranded on Earth. And this provided some really interesting stories. Certain characters teamed up with other characters. Certain characters found themselves kind of wandering around. And for Peter Quill specifically, this was the first, um, I would say, extended amount of time that he spent on his home planet since he left. And so this provided a really interesting um really interesting opportunity to tell a story of what happens when Peter Quill goes home. And even though it does not take place anywhere near where he was born or would find any family, we get to see Star-Lord in the most popular Marvel locale, which is, of course, New York. And Peter Quill is really fun here. Um, of course, this is the time when he's still definitely based off of the uh, the Chris Pratt version of the character from the Guardians movies. However, 
Immediately when he gets back to Earth, he is thrown into a situation that he doesn't know how to deal with because he doesn't spend he hasn't spent any time on Earth. He doesn't know how it works there. Uh, he gets some guidance from Abigail Brand, who is in possession of not sword, sort of sword. Things were strange at this point, and it, I believe she was the commander of Alpha Flight, and so. Steve, Steve, <laughs> Star-Lord gets some, uh, some help, but he still has to make his own way. He still has to find, uh, some way to make things work for him. And the little misadventure that he ends up going on where he is more or less just this space hobo trying to find a job is actually really endearing. Uh, he gets in trouble with the law very quickly. He gets a job at the bar with no name as a bartender. Uh, so he gets, you know, to be as the, as the story or as the title, you know, states, he's grounded. He's on the ground level. He's seeing these, you know, really... Um, street level villains you know plotting and you know he's making friends with them because he doesn't he doesn't know he doesn't know how things go on earth so we get to see him in the situation we get to see him also befriend an elderly possibly former something uh who he makes a really fast friendship with it's just a really heartfelt fun story it also uh provided through chris anka the best Star-Lord costume. I will take that to my grave. I love the Star-Lord redesign for this book. It pulls together every single bit of his history and turns it into just the best costume he's ever had. I know that in years since, the costume has been kind of twisted and changed, but this version, this uh, Anka design, really is just the best Star-Lord has ever looked. Uh, We get also him running into several other different characters, some for the first time, uh, some that he has a kind of sort of association with. Matt Murdock, the lawyer, Spider-Man, the vigilante, and we get to see how he reacts to all these situations. Overall, it's fun, it's lighthearted, it gets to the core of Peter Quill as a character, and also is just a really heartfelt story. There are moments where you will feel for Peter Quill and the supporting cast in this book. And when the story wraps up and Peter Quill is back off to the stars, you will be missing his misadventures on Earth. So that is my number five, Star-Lord Grounded, a wonderful story, and the first time that I really genuinely fell in love with the character. Next up, at number four, we have Guardians of the Galaxy, Realm of Kings. This is the conclusion of the uh, Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning run of the Guardians that put them back on the map when it comes to the Marvel cosmic, Marvel comic universe. And if anything, this book goes out with a bang. It is written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, as I said before. Art Duties by Brad Walker, and this really was a fantastic conclusion to that run. Uh, Let me go ahead and dive into the uh, synopsis here. And it reads, The Guardians have been to hell and back on a desperate quest to save the past, present, and future of the universe itself. 
But after their monumental efforts and terrible sacrifice, could it be that, due to the end of War of Kings and the creation of The Fault, the universe is an even more dangerous place than before, and they just don't realize it yet? Yes, it's time to shake up the team lineup again in the book that Newsarama's Best Shot calls Marvel's Most Enjoyable Team Book. There's a tremendous amount of action punctuated by some terrific humor and character development. So this encompasses uh, Guardians of the Galaxy issues 20-25, and... Like I said, this was the conclusion of probably the definitive Guardians of the Galaxy run. A lot of people, if you ask them, what is the best comic book that features the Guardians of the Galaxy, nine times out of ten, they're going to say the Abnett and Lanning run. Uh, this 25 issues that also culminated in another story that we'll get to in a little bit really was Guardians of the Galaxy at its best and fulfilling the promise of the premise, telling cosmic stories in ways that couldn't be told with the Earthbound heroes. And this story specifically you feel like it's a proper conclusion. You know, there are times when you have a run of a comic that will just kind of suddenly end. Uh, and it's really tough when you are enjoying a story and it says, you know, that's the end. And you're just like, but there's so, there's so many, what? And this book, if any, really does put a stamp on things while also still opening the door for future stories. Um, this comes out of the aftermath of War of Kings, which is another incredible story. Um, the mainline War of Kings book may not be everyone's cup of tea. I like it, but I love the War of Kings tie-in for Guardians of the Galaxy. It's basically uh, Black Bolt versus Vulcan, and they're willing to rip the entire universe apart, and the Guardians are stuck in the middle. And so, following the events of War of Kings, there's this gigantic... Uh, it's called The Fault. There's this rift in reality that is basically like this gaping wound providing access to other realities. And the Guardians are having to deal with all of that. Also, they're dealing with some heavy losses during the War of Kings event. And it all kind of culminates very similarly to the game with this uh, confrontation with the uh, Universal Church of Truth. Uh, I don't think that's a spoiler because we all knew that the Universal Tr Church of Truth was going to be the, you know, the villain in the Guardians game. So don't yell at me. Um, but this story is really great. It also features a twist that I gasped at the first time I read it and gasped at it again, uh, rereading it for this because it had been so long. Um, I knew that this was the lead up to another story that again we'll talk about later. But I was still surprised, and I love this run for that, being able to surprise me with the twists and turns that the story takes. Also, it has one of the best Star-Lord moments ever. Um, the Andy Lanning and Dan Abnett Star-Lord is very different from the Star-Lord we have today, both in movie and comics, and I would say in the video game as well. But... This really was an incredible Star-Lord moment at the tail end, at the final hour. Um, I just love it. I really do. And at the end, it gives you that nice little, okay, this is the end of our story for now. But hey, 
The Guardians are still out there. So I genuinely love this story. I think it's a wonderful look at Marvel Cosmic. I think it's a great wrap-up for this story for an for a run that I really don't think, you know, ever should have ended. But featuring characters like Rocket, like Groot, like Star-Lord, alongside characters like Moondragon, Adam Warlock, Philavel, you know, characters who I don't know if we'll ever get to in the MCU, and characters who really do sell that there is an entire galaxy of heroes that don't base themselves out of new york this was a wonderful conclusion to the story this is a wonderful conclusion to the uh entire run and it's a story that i think still stands the test of time for sure but that is my number four with number three we have star we have annihilation conquest star lord this was the one that started it all okay this was the book that really kicked things off it is written by Keith Giffen with art by Timothy Green. Uh, this is another miniseries. Uh, this is issues one through four of uh, Annihilation Conquest Star-Lord. It was a tie-in to the main Conquest Annihilation book, but but I already said that I got the Star-Lord grounded out of my system because I love that story, and it's really a Star-Lord story. And the title of this might be a little misleading because it says Annihilation Conquest Star-Lord. But really, you could put this as Annihilation Conquest Guardians of the Galaxy because this was the birth of the Marty... Mardian of the modern guardians of the galaxy this really was the genesis of that team so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here it reads relive the birth of the motley crew that became the guardians of the galaxy peter quill is star lord once more but will he embrace his legacy the techno-organic phalanx have overrun the galaxy, and it's time for Star-Lord and his ragtag team of cosmic cult favorites, including Bug, Captain Universe, Deathcry, Mantis, Groot, and Rocket Raccoon, to suit up and become legends. But this no-win, no-tech suicide mission starts off bad and rapidly gets worse. As hordes of the phalanx close in, one team member might have to make the ultimate sacrifice. So, this is, and I, I made the reference earlier that the Guardians game very much feels to me like Uncharted meets Mass Effect. This book is Mass Effect 2. Straight up. This book is Mass Effect 2 in the Marvel Universe. And if that doesn't bring you to the dance when it comes to this book, there is something wrong with you because this book is wonderful. This is, again, the origin of the Guardians as we know them without ever actually calling them the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? So this all stems out of Annihilation. Annihilation, huge cosmic, really kind of brought Marvel Cosmic back from the brink when it comes to Marvel Comics. And the follow-up, Annihilation Conquest, featured the Phalanx, being led by Ultron, trying to disrupt and destroy everything and making the Kree homeworld, Hala, their stomping grounds. And so this story 
really got kicked off because Star-Lord Peter Quill, who is, again, very different from the uh, Peter Quill that we know and love today, this Star-Lord is a military veteran. This Star-Lord has been around the block. I would say this Star-Lord is in, like, his late 30s, early 40s, and he was one of the key components in ultimately, unfortunately, bringing the phalanx to the Kree homeworld. And after having all of his cybernetic implants removed, he's just a guy. And as he is kind of set up here in this book, everyone knows, yeah, he might just be a guy, but he is one of the greatest tactical minds in the entire galaxy, and we need him. So what he does is he dons the, I would say maybe the second best uh star lord costume and brings together a ragtag team of complete z-listers to infiltrate hella and find the means to turn back the phalanx and to reclaim the kree homeworld uh it's wonderful and you already got the rundown on the cast here bug captain universe no not the one you're thinking of death cry mantis and this is the very first comic to bring together rocket raccoon and groot so this is the book where they meet each other, right? All of these characters were from different points in the Marvel cosmic history from throughout the 1960s all the way up to when this book came out in the uh, late to, in the late 2000s. And Star-Lord being just this guy with a couple of guns and he is going to lead this merry band of misfits on a suicide mission to infiltrate Hala was this wonderful little lightning-in-a-bottle moment. Um, We get to see characters who might not be the versions that we are familiar with. Groot speaks in full sentences. He is gigantic, at least the size of, like, a small house. Um, Though he really only ever talks to Rocket, so it kind of makes, in my headcanon, I like to think that this is Rocket communicating with Groot and everyone else thinks he's just saying, I am Groot, but that's just me. But the story is legit just four issues of odds being stacked against them over and over and over again. And somehow these guardians are expected, or these proto-guardians, are expected to overcome this uh it's so cool man and you really get to feel the dire straits that this team is under you know that these characters are basically going in not as well equipped as they could be they are having to go in low tech that is the reason that he assembles this team because none of them are really tech based and the phalanx would immediately clock them as soon as they got onto the planet They have to infiltrate this world, which has been taken over by the phalanx, and they have to somehow find a way to repel them from the world. Just this small group of total, you know, losers trying to make their way through. Um, It provides some really great character moments. Again, this Star-Lord is world-weary, though he does find time to have quips now and then. Uh, Bug is this, like roguish character who is completely ill-equipped to be part of this captain universe at this point the um the i don't remember the name of the force that is you know inhabiting him but 
the force has inhabited this uh, military veteran from Earth who really is just kind of out of his depth here. Um, and we get Death Cry, who is part of the Shi'ar. She is a um, she is one of the warbirds, I believe. We get Mantis. We also get, like I said, Rocket and Groot. And Rocket at this point is, again, still not exactly the Rocket that we know. He does have an attitude. He is a tech expert, but um, he's not exactly the wise-cracking member of the Guardians that we know and love today. However, that being said, we get to see the seeds planted here. We get to see the, you know, buddy-buddy and at many times adversarial uh, relationship between Peter and Rocket. We get to see Groot and Rocket working together. We get to see Star-Lord working as a leader of a ragtag team that he would eventually call the Guardians of the Galaxy. And all of them going up against the Phalanx, who are many, they are legion, they will crush them. So having this underdog story that is based around this idea that we are going to send you into a no-win situation, you just need to do what you can. And having that just be the best part of Annihilation Conquest um, is just a wonderful, wonderful piece of storytelling. It's, again, if you want to know where to start when it comes to modern guardians where you want to start and start reading from that forward this is the place this is where you start the story and you go from here and it only gets weirder but that brings us to our number two a newer addition to this uh to this list but it is guardians of the galaxy final gauntlet this is written by donny cates with art by jeff shaw and Corey smith and this is the most recent run before the al ewing run of guardians and this was something of an anomaly for me i wasn't um i wasn't sure how this was going to go donny cates has been in as much of a renaissance as tom king i think he is the tom king of marvel comics and though he is focused mostly in the world of venom uh, he is currently, you know, after having wrapped that up, he's currently the writer of Thor. And in between all of the stuff that he was doing, Absolute Carnage, you know, King in Black, all this stuff, he had a little bitty book called Guardians of the Galaxy, a 12-issue run that gives us quite the interesting Guardians lineup. So let me just go ahead and talk about the synopsis real quick. So it reads... Hundreds of worlds are at war. More than ever, the galaxy needs the Guardians. But in the aftermath of the Infinity Wars, who is left to answer the call? Thanos is dead, but the search for his successor has just begun. Who will it be? And who are the Dark Guardians? Cosmic chaos commences when the new Guardians take on Thanos' Black Order. But could the Mad Titan be fighting his way back from the grave? So, this is essentially, you know, taking place following the events of Infinity Wars, where Gamora killed Thanos, she became a villain, fought all of the Guardians, and then disappeared. And, which left us with a very interesting... Um, a very interesting place for Marvel Cosmic to be in. Thanos has been killed a couple of times, um, including during the uh, initial 
Abnett and Lanning Guardians run. But this time was interesting because instead of telling the story of what is the universe like after Thanos, we tell the story of what happens when someone tries to take Thanos's place. And so the entire story kicks off with a funeral or really kind of a post-mortem for Thanos and immediately the hunt is on to find Thanos's successor because they fit they find out Thanos is going to be reborn into someone they don't know who it is and the race is on and unfortunately the Guardians are out of commission, so it's up to Peter Quill to build a new Guardians team, which includes the likes of the Silver Surfer and Beta Ray Bill, baby, to try and find a way to not only rebuild the Guardians as a team, but also to figure out who the successor to Thanos is and stop them from destroying the universe. So this is big-time blockbuster storytelling, but it's not just bombastic, you know, battles. There's also a ton of heart. There are confrontations and emotional moments between the Guardians after, you know, Gamora essentially betrayed them in Infinity Wars, the Guardians were shattered as a team. And so trying to rebuild those pieces is not going to be easy. And so we get these incredibly uh, emotional moments between the Guardians. We also get to find out this new ragtag team that Peter Quill has assembled, really hearkening back to the days of the Abnett and Lanning era, where it's all of these characters who are not used to working together being put on this team and that was the spirit of the original guardians because they were all characters from separate books from separate stories now on a team together how are they going to coexist and so this book captures that uh that spirit while also giving us the modern sensibilities of post uh, of post-James Gunn Guardians. So it's a wonderful story, has a ton of heart. It's 12 issues, so it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Brings in characters that you don't necessarily associate with the Guardians. And even though I personally uh, think that the twist is comes from a mile away, I see it. I see it come from a, a mile away. I clock it immediately as we get into this story that doesn't take away from the twist itself and it doesn't take away from the characters who have to still go through the twist regardless of whether we expect it or not so i think it's a wonderful story if you're looking for a great modern guardian story i'm not a huge fan of the bendis era just because they tried a little you know bendis tried a little bit too hard to be you know james gunn light but in in comics but this story captures everything i love about the guardians it captures everything about marvel cosmic that makes it work and wraps it all up into 12 issues that present itself as one of the best guardian stories ever but it's not the best guardians of the galaxy story and before i get into the best guardians of the galaxy story i want to give a couple honorable mentions okay three stories that i think you do need to take a look at first off War of Kings. War of Kings, as I said before, is not everybody's cup of tea. 
but I do think it is worth reading the uh, Guardians tie-ins for it because so much happens. The majority of the original Abnett and Lanning run is tie-ins, unfortunately, but they make it work somehow. You know, the War of Kings tie-ins splits the Guardians into two teams, one led by Rocket, one led by Peter. And having Rocket's team filled with heavy hitters like Adam Warlock, Drax, Groot go up against the gigantic battle that is happening in the middle of the universe between Black Bolt and Vulcan is incredible. They are caught in the middle. This is the team that, even though they have the heavy hitters, are going to be dealing with a lot. Meanwhile, the team led by uh, led by Peter, including Mantis, Philavel, they are going to go through a time-hopping adventure where they have to go through and meet the original guardians they have to you know in the year 3000 and they need to figure out how they can you know stop the greater ramifications of the war of kings which is splitting the universe apart and find a way to stop the end of all things before we even get into that at the very beginning of this ronan the accuser captures Peter Quill, casts him off to the negative zone, and he is stuck at 42, the negative zone prison built during Civil War, and now, in the aftermath of Civil War, overrun by the heroes and villains that were stuck there, as they are being assaulted by the denizens of the negative zone, led by Blastar of all people. It's a wonderful kind of mix between a prison break story and that and Helm's Deep, where they have to defend 42 against this siege. It's just incredible storytelling, so fun. It brings together a lot of the disparate uh, cosmic, as well as, you know, more uh, Earth-based Marvel concepts. And it brings together one of my favorite pairings, which is Star-Lord and Jack Flagg. One of my favorite characters in that run. Just this guy who's constantly like... I just have, I'm just really strong. I don't like space stuff. This cosmic bull, you know, this cosmic bull is just not for me, but I keep getting, you know, tossed into it. It's just really fun and a really fun story. I also want to give props to The Trial of Jean Grey. Not the best Guardian story, not even my favorite Guardian story, but you know what it does? It brings two very important characters together and that is star lord and cyclops who have more in common than you might think this is during the not just the uh, bendis era of guardians but also the bendis area of all new x-men which is the baby x-men the young x-men who have been time displaced this is actually a really interesting concept because while uh, the modern-day Jean Grey is dead at this point, we still have a young Jean Grey putzing around. And the Galactic Council has deemed that even though they can't try Jean Grey for her crimes as the Phoenix way back in the Phoenix Saga, they've got a perfectly good Jean Grey right here. So they capture Jean Grey. She is set to trial for the crimes that she has not committed yet. And it brings together not just the now spacefaring all-new X-Men, but also Corsair and his Starjammers, and of course the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a crossover that is galaxies in the making, 
And it's actually really fun. The Guardians are in top form here. We get a lot of teen melodrama because that is all that all new X-Men book was. But it's just, it's fun. And I love Cyclops in space. Is Do I have a bias because this story features Cyclops? Maybe, but you'll never get me to admit it. But it is, of course, on my honorable mentions. And then the final book that I really feel like would be remiss if it wasn't featured somewhere is Thanos Imperative. No, Thanos Imperative is not, you know, the Abnett and Lanning era's finest hour. Yes, it is kind of a messy conclusion to their story. However, it feels box office. It feels huge. It feels like the culmination of everything they had been building towards for 25 issues and really gives us the gigantic conclusion to that era that we needed. You know, it brings together... You know, the basically the story behind this, uh, it's the conclusion of the story. The fault from the War of Kings slash Realm of Kings has been stopped, but it is still here. And it has opened the door to the Cancerverse, which gives us a lot of problems. Because in this Cancerverse, death has been defeated and life is everlasting, which is bad news. Because these creatures cannot be killed they cannot die and so our team has to team up with thanos himself to find a way to stop the cancerverse from invading our 616 universe and consuming it in the name of life this also brings together an evil captain marvel not carol captain marvell as well as gives us some really just blockbuster moments. We get to see at the heart of, or at the opening of the fault, Galactus shows up and teams up with the Celestials because they even know the threat to the universe this Cancerverse poses. Uh, we get probably the the single most OP collection of cosmic characters. The Annihilators are brought together for the first time. Characters like the Silver Surfer, Beta Ray Bill, Ronan the Accuser, and of course, Gladiator of the of the Shi'ar. Um, the most overpowered heavy hitter team you could ever find is brought together during the story. Um, we do get a weird thing with Drax here. It's strange. It's really, I don't know. But this, the conclusion, which brings together Nova and Star-Lord once again after them having served together in the Annihilation Wars, um, them having to deal on separate ends of the Annihilation Conquest, all the way through, this brings them together once again to have probably one of the coolest moments in the entire um, history of either of those characters. It's just a great story. It does have a lot of faults, and in retrospect, it is the probably might be the weakest part of that Abnet Landing era, but it is still worth being mentioned on this list. However, the best Guardian story, the number one, the big kahuna, the one that towers above all else is, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy Legacy. This is volume one of the uh, Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning era and features the original team of Abnett, Lanning, and artist Paul Pelletier doing their best work. This is 
Guardians of the Galaxy. This spun out of the Annihilation Conquest and was the first modern Guardians of the Galaxy story. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Synopsis reads like this. Launching out of Annihilation Conquest, Marvel's sci-fi heroes unite to protect the cosmos. Back-to-back Annihilation Wars have weakened the boundaries of our universe. Dark gods and monsters are seeping through the cracks, raining horror upon those still reeling from the recent calamities. In the face of terror, who stands to defend a desperate universe? Star-Lord and his squad of butt-kickers, the modern-day Guardians of the Galaxy. You've heard that Annihilation Conquest rocks. The guy at the comic shop keeps telling you to try Nova. Well, now's your chance to experience the glory that writers Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning and artist Paul Pelletier can unleash. All this, plus a wisecracking raccoon and a telepathic dog. Come on, people. Time to lock and load. So this was the modern, the birth of the modern Guardians. This featured a team of Star-Lord, Drax, Gamora, Rocket, and Groot. Does that sound familiar to you? Yes, of course it does, but also paired them with characters like Phyla Vell, Adam Warlock, Cosmo the Space Dog, and really set out to tell an incredible story. Um, what I love about this is that it did the... Um, the testimonials way before I fell in love with them in the West Coast Avengers book. But also, while telling the story, we get this incredible story of these ragtag characters coming together and trying to work on a team for the first time. It's what I love about Marvel Comics is that they take, whenever they take a group of characters who have never worked together before, they don't shy away from showing how much they don't work well together. Um, Having Drax, who had just come fresh off of killing Thanos, team up with the daughter of Thanos, Gamora, is nothing short of a delight. We also get to see Mantis drop hints that in the first issue that, yeah, so um, I see the future. I can't tell them that tomorrow they're going to decide on the name Guardians of the Galaxy. Just as much as I can't tell them that nine years from or nine months from now, someone is going to betray the team and kill them, kill them all. I can't tell them that. And it's really it sets up this incredible um, ticking time bomb where you're scrutinizing every single character's motivations or every single character's actions, including Star Lord. The first six issues of this run, which is what comprises this legacy uh, story, not only gives us a Star-Lord who is very different from the modern Star-Lord that we're used to, but this Star-Lord is incredibly compelling. He is a war-torn veteran who is trying to lead this motley crew of characters while also keeping lots of secrets. We also get not just the modern Guardians, but we get a hint at Guardians past in that in issue two, we get the debut or re-debut of Major Victory, a leader of the former Guardians of the year 3000, and it just gets wilder from there. If nothing else, just read that uh, Abnett Landing run. It's incredible. It's 25 issues. If you want to carry that over into Thanos Imperative, feel free. But uh, it's 25 issues of pure Guardians of the Galaxy. It is wonderfully done. Um, This story gives you everything that you would want. Talking Guardians, disagreeing with each other, on a team, you know, cosmic threats, 
pulling from every single corner of Marvel Cosmic, which I feel like they don't really do anymore. They don't really... A lot of it's just like, okay, let's take the stuff that's popular and let's just put it into a Guardians book. This is pure spacefaring Guardians of the Galaxy. This is pure Marvel Cosmic and was the best thing to come as a result of Annihilation. Um, it is absolutely worth your time to read or reread. Getting to reread the entire Guardians run for this episode really was just a delight and I forgot how much I genuinely love this story and it is absolutely worth its place at number one of this list so to recap number five we've got Star-Lord Grounded number four we've got Realm of Kings number three we've got Annihilation Conquest Star-Lord number two we've got the Final Gauntlet and number one we have Legacy but regardless of which book you like which book you adore the Guardians are here to stay they're going to be around for a very long time whether it's in comic books whether it's in film whether it's in Video games that are incredible and I can't stop talking good things about. There is no threat too large for the Guardians. No matter what cosmic threat they're up against, no matter how high the odds, they've got this. Probably. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing episode number eight of season three of Doom Patrol, entitled Subconscious Patrol. Now, this might be... I'm having trouble. This might be the best episode of the season. Um, it's one of the best episodes of the entire series, if I'm being honest, but my favorite might still be the dead boys, the dead boy detective agency episode, but this might be the best episode of the season. And we've only got two episodes left. Like, can you believe that? There's only 10 episodes in the season. I just, nah. Um, but this episode was incredible and it starts off in a very you know, familiar place for our heroes. Uh, it starts off kind of going down memory lane for everybody. You could almost call this uh, Therapy Patrol 3. <laughs> Every single season has a Therapy Patrol episode, and this one is uh, the Therapy Patrol episode for this one, for this season. So right away, we find out what the eternal flagellation is. It is switching your subconscious with your conscious self. So we get the subconsciouses of K, Larry, Cliff and General Tony um, brought to the surface in place of um, Jane, Negative Man, Robot Man, and Cyborg, respectively. 
And General Tony is a really interesting choice. I thought it was going to be maybe his dad or something, but very, very interesting. Um, I liked getting to see them kind of play. It's just great to see Brendan Fraser and Matt Bomer actually like get extended time in an episode. Uh, we're used to hearing their voices, their performance alongside the physical performances of the actors who portray the bodies of Negative Man and Robot Man are very well done but it's just great seeing them it's great seeing brendan frazier it's great seeing matt bomer and actually seeing them emote and perform and it's just really cool having them be here for this uh there's this great moment great 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 moment where brendan frazier or i guess cliff Steele looks at robot man because eventually they're all kind of united and they get to have one-on-one conversations where brendan looks it at brendan looks brendan frazier where cliff you know cliff is looking at um at robot man and he just tells him how terrible he's being and it just oh man it just it broke my heart when robot man just doubled down on being a terrible person i thought we were gonna have this breakthrough it's a very brave choice and i hope that there is a payoff for this but oh man did i just get emotional i broke my heart really watching him just shy away from this um we get to see Larry meet himself on his wedding day. And there's this great moment where Larry says, make it worth what I'm going through. And it again, just broke my heart because Larry, you know, was forced into this marriage, even though he knew he was gay and has been hiding himself. And now Larry in present day is still, you know, going through the trauma of all that. And it's just, it's a beautiful moment of the two of them coming together. Uh, Jane and Kay get this really sad moment where, you know, Kay kind of real, you know, says like, I don't need you anymore. I don't need any of them anymore. And at the conclusion of the episode where, you know, Jane, you know, everything kind of gets reset and Jane goes back into the underground. Everyone's gone. Everyone's gone. Kay did something and now everyone is gone except for her and Jane. So that is going to be really interesting to find out what happens there. Um, we also got the origin of Madame Rouge, uh, we see, again, anytime we get to see the Brotherhood of Evil, anytime we get to see the Brain and Mala together, I absolutely adore it. And if we never see them in the modern day, I will be completely satisfied. A little sad, but completely satisfied with what they did in this season. Um, we get to see them give her the name Madame Rouge. We see that the reason that... Uh, that Laura DeMille was sent to the future was so that they could steal all of Niles Calder's inventions and bring them back and basically ruin him. And she took the time machine that Rita had brought back. So it's all one time machine. And I love how stupid and timey-wimey that is. Because if Laura didn't bring the time machine to the future, Rita never would have gotten into it to take it into the past. And if Rita never gotten it and take it to the past, Laura would have never taken it to the future. This is just this wonderful loop. I love it. But we get to see uh, Rita have this confrontation with Madame Rouge, uh, the two of them before, you know, she leaves to the future. Uh, Rita takes the time machine as well, and we see her, you know, 
in the appearance at the lodge where she pushes Rita so that they can, you know, get the dead boy detectives episode going. Um, It's just really wonderful just seeing how all of this time travel, which could have been incredibly messy. And I mean, it still is because time travel just in general as a concept is really messy, but seeing how they utilize it to tell a really tragic story was incredible. But the moment that got me, in this episode the moment that actually made me like openly just sob i was crying was the conversation between general tony and victor stone because we see during this you know stroll down memory lane you know cliff's memory takes him to this party that he was having uh where he went and like you know slept with a stripper while his daughter while claire was just sitting in the car um Larry was obviously taken back to his time, uh, to his wedding day. Uh, Jane was taken to this puppets thing. I don't know what this was. Um, And Victor was brought back to this time when he was a kid. They were in a toy store. He was, you know, absentmindedly knocking toys over. And this, uh, one of the store clerks comes over, grabs him and is like, you know, I'm calling the cops and everything. And Silas is like, no, we don't need to do that. He's just a kid, and it's this really incredible scene where Victor is, like, I was just looking for a black superhero, and I couldn't find him. And Silas tells him, like, I'm getting emotional just thinking about this. Um, He tells him, like, you don't get the luxury of making mistakes. You don't get the luxury of making mistakes because you can make a mistake and it can end your life. And this is a conversation that is not only relevant today, but has been relevant for years. You know, um, people of global majority have had to have this conversation with their kids multiple times. But of course, it's mostly prevalent in African-American communities. And the fact that they dove into this and really utilized this to tell about the impact it's had on Victor Stone as a character... Um, I'm I'm trying not to get emotional about this Um, because General Tony tells him like from that moment you decided in your head that you weren't allowed to make mistakes that you had to be perfect at all times and the pressure of that has broken you severely Um, and just the idea of that really resonated with me um it really uh was this powerful moment where it's like you know you don't have the luxury of essentially being able to be a kid and to make mistakes and you have to be the best and you have to be on your guard at all times and it forced him to grow up way too fast and it is the heart of that cyborg character it's the heart of this version of cyborg and it's the heart of so many people who have had that same experience um it was tragic and it was beautiful and it was profound and at the end of the episode when you know everything wraps up the eternal flagellation is over and everyone goes back to reality everyone is changed except you know probably cliff but when you know they pop back up they're in the place where they were at the start of the flagellation so Larry is back out in the woods. He goes and he takes the slug. I don't like that part. 
because we don't know what this parasite is. Um, we see Victor back in the uh, back in the operating room, and they have grafted the synthetic skin onto him. He is quote unquote whole. Um, we see Jane, you know, like I said, go back into the underground and find that everyone's gone except for her and Kate. Um, Rita is dealing with the consequences of all this, and Cliff finds himself back in Clara's house in their garage, you know, gambling and, you know, jerking off to cam girls, and Claire finds him. And I was like, yes, finally we're going to get some consequences. But this was an incredible episode, a character study on everybody, and brought me to tears. And it was as perfect a Doom Patrol episode this season as you can find. And I'm very sad that we've only got two episodes left. It breaks my heart. It really does. But I'm very excited to see where we go with these last two episodes. I can't wait to find out what is next for the Doom Patrol. So tune in next week as we dive into episode number nine, the penultimate episode of season three. But for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, there were a bunch of books that could have taken the top spot, but honestly, I had to go with, of course, Inferno number two. Inferno number two, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by St- Stefano Caselli. Um, just incredible. Just incredible storytelling. This is the reason people fell in love with Hawksbox. This is the reason people fell in love with the Jonathan Hicks- Hickman version of the X-Men. And now he is back to burn it all down. So absolutely loved it. If you were not picking this up, you should be, especially if you've been at all, even just remotely invested in the Hickman era. This is the end of it, so strap in, because only bad times are coming. But that's last week's books. Let's take a look at this week's books. We've got one, two, three, four, five, ten books for you to check out this week. Starting off with Arkham City, The Order of the World, number two. This is written by Dan Waters with art by Danny. And honestly, I was surprised that I loved this book as much as I did. Um, I thought it was going to be cool. I liked the concept, but this, the first issue just really grabbed me and did not let me go. Um, What a great, great book. Uh, So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Chapter 2. Dr. Jocasta Joy. Arkham's last living psychiatrist continues her descent into the ten-eyed man's world of delusion. But are his claims of ghosts and rituals purely figments of his imagination, or is there a method to his madness? Meanwhile, Dr. Double X, a man with the ability to project his soul outside of his own body, has been taken prisoner by a very friendly couple who have discovered that his powers of astral projection can be used on others, and they are addictive. But when Azrael appears in this den of sin, will anyone be safe from his cleansing fire? Join us on our second trip into the darkest corners of Gotham City and bear witness to the foul creatures, Arkhamite and Gothamite alike, that call them home." 
yeah, pretty much tells you all you need to know. Um, I am very in on this. This book is exactly what I wanted it to be. Next up, we have Teen Titans Academy number seven, written by Tim Sheridan, art by Rafa Sandoval. Uh, this book's been good. Uh, we have gotten into a bit of a scrape when it comes to the Teen Titans Academy students uh, with the man, the myth, the gorilla himself, Gorilla Grodd, uh, taking center stage. So I'm not sure if this is like kind of the big culmination of the first arc. It kind of feels that way. So we will see. We also know that Red Hood's still creeping around and that revelation of who he might be is on the horizon. So maybe we'll get some more clues. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Gorillas in our midst. Gorilla Grodd versus Gorilla Greg. A fun, light outing to upstate New York for the students of a Titans Academy becomes a nightmare when an entire town turns on them. But as Gorilla City expat Gorilla Greg fights to save his friends, the young primate discovers the fret leads him to his own uncle, Gorilla Grodd. That's a lot. Um, yeah, but I'm ready for a big old beastie throwdown. This should be a ton of fun. Next up, we have Batman number 116. This is written by James Tynan IV and Becky Cloonan with art by uh, George Corona, George Jimenez, and Michael Conrad. And this is, um, I mean, it's great, man. Honestly, like Fear State has been everything that I wanted it to be. Um, Batman is getting a hell of a send off for the James Tyne in the fourth era, uh, which makes me a little sad. But I think that this is as good as the book can be. Um, and it's at one of its best. Honestly, the cast of characters that are involved, the narrative that's going on, I really, really do enjoy it. And I'm excited to pick this next issue up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Fear State, Part 5, slash Batgirls, Part 2, set it off. The only thing standing between an insane, heavily armed Peacekeeper 01 and a high body count in Gotham City is Batman. Their first bout didn't go well for the Dark Knight, but the city is on the line, and he can't let the Scarecrow's master plan come to fruition. And whose side is Miracle Molly on? The penultimate chapter of Fear State. With the Batcoms unreliable, Oracle has instructed the Batgirls to stay in the clock tower while she and Nightwing investigate who is behind the Oracle network hacks. But with the Magistrate's forces instructed to attack the clock tower, will the Batgirls make it out before it's too late? So, lots of stuff going on, lots of plates spinning. I love that this feels not just like a Batman book, but like a Bat Family book. Because um, we've got Batman, we've got Miracle Molly, we've got Oracle, we've got the Batgirls, we've got Nightwing. Everybody is here. And I love that they feel included, I love that they feel involved, and I'm really excited to pick this book up. Next up, we have Superman 78, number 3. This is written by Robert Venditti with art by Wilfredo Torres. I have been loving this. I, You know how much I love Superman. You know how much I love the Chris Reeve version of Superman. The first two issues have been incredible, and I cannot wait to pick this third issue up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. In order to save Metropolis, Superman must surrender to Brainiac or watch his city burn to the ground. After being taken aboard Brainiac's ship, Superman finds a shocking piece of his past that changes his entire future. Meanwhile, Lois Lane gets a cryptic message from a mysterious source claiming to have found a way to save the Man of Steel. So yeah, 
lots of bombastic stuff. We've got Brainiac, which is really fun. I love that they went sort of super friends with him and his design. Um, it's just a really fun book for a long forgotten time. Really, really good stuff. Next up, we have Strange Academy Presents The Death of Doctor Strange, number one. This is written by Scotty Young with art by Michael Del Mundo. That's really fun. I love Del Mundo's art. And this is the tie-in for Strange Academy to The Death of Doctor Strange, which has been incredible so far. Um, two things that I've been loving. Death of Doctor Strange and Strange Academy. Put them together, peanut butter and jelly. It's delicious. It's wonderful. Very excited to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Strange Academy is closed until the events surrounding Doctor Strange's death are resolved. So the students go back to their parents. Eric and Alvi's mom happens to be the Enchantress, so you know this isn't going to go smoothly. We're going to learn that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and more than just one realm is in trouble. All this and more. So yeah, uh, we have been waiting for the development of this dangling thread. We found out in this series that our two, who we thought were Asgardian Thor brothers, were actually the sons of the Enchantress, of Amora. So I really like that. I'm excited to learn more about them and maybe who their father is. Mm. So really excited to pick this up next up we have batman superman the authority special number one this is written by philip kennedy johnson with art by jonathan clapion rain barredo scott Hanna, trevor Harrison, and ben templesmith a murderer's row of artists on this book and this is going to be yet another start or perhaps ending to the current uh, Superman era before we dive into uh, the War World saga as well as uh, Son of Kal-El. And I think we need some kind of uh, definitive, like, what's happening here. Because at, at this point, we've had three separate goodbyes for Superman, each detailing different events. I... If I really wanted to stretch and squint and kind of look over my shoulder at it, I could maybe say that they all happened in the same day, but come on. They're, they're, come on. So we'll see. We'll see how this wraps, the, you know, if it wraps it together, if it makes it even more complicated. But I'm still excited about this. I'm excited about the new authority. I'm excited about Batman finding out about this new authority. It should be a good time. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Following Mongol's brazen attack on Earth, Superman's world has been turned upside down. Conflict between Atlantis and the surface world, the discovery of an immensely powerful new element, dead refugees with mysterious ties to Krypton, and expulsion from the Justice League. When Superman reforms the experimental anti-establishment authority to join him in liberating War World, Batman comes to them with a request. Join him for one unorthodox off-the-books mission first, one he could never ask the Justice League to be a part of and one he doesn't expect everyone to come back from. So this is, again, as we see here, yet another goodbye issue. So we'll see. Um, this is kind of both a you know, follow-up to uh, Superman and the Authority, as well as the Batman-Superman book, neither of which were written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. So we'll see. We'll see how this all wraps up. Next up, we have Radiant Black number 9. This is written by Kyle Higgins with art by Marcelo Costa, and this book has been great. 
uh, really, really enjoying it, and I'm excited to see how we go further into this. Uh, Radiant Black's been fantastic. If you aren't reading it, you need to get on board. Um, it's just a great book. It's a great book out of image. It's a great book from these creators, and I can't wait to pick it up every single time it comes out. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Time passes. Slowly, Lockport recovers. But faced with a city that is no longer wanting him around, and still reeling from unimaginable loss, Marshall has to ask, is it already time to leave town for good? So, we're getting another conclusion for this current arc, I think, before we head into the next one. I love this cover, too. It really homages the... Uh, the Death of Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, I just love this book. I think it's really, really good. Next up, we have Dark Knights of Steel number one. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Yasmin Putri. We've been waiting for this book for a little bit now, and I am excited to see what they are bringing to the table with this. This is medieval DC Universe. Um, a book that none of us asked for, a book that none of us were expecting, but a book that I think is going to be very good. Why? Because you always trust in Tom Taylor. And the Yasmin Putri art is gorgeous. I'm very excited to check this out. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. An entire medieval world will be forever changed when a spaceship crash lands from a doomed planet. Monarchs will die. Kingdoms will rise. And what seemed the end of the world for many was only the beginning. An epic high fantasy story set in a DC universe where nothing is what it seems. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, of course, I love me some high fantasy. I'm excited to see the twists and turns. Tom Taylor does some of his best work when it's alternate universe DC universe stuff. So I am very excited to see what comes of this Dark Knights of Steel. Next up, we have Firepower number 17. This is written by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney and Matt Wilson. This book is on fire, literally. Um, the book is incredible. I'm absolutely loving it. We are heading into another gigantic climax for this book as the... Uh, Oh, the biggest battle of Owen Johnson's career is upon him. Very excited to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Surrounded, alone, weakened, Owen Johnson is in, the, is in for the fight of his life. So yeah, pretty much tells you everything you need to know. This is going to be a absolute barnstormer. This is going to be a knockdown drag out brawl, and I can't wait to pick this up. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is Human Target number one. This is written by Tom King with art by Greg Smallwood. We've been waiting for this book. We've been waiting for this book. This is uh, Tom King's next latest 12-issue uh, series. He has recently concluded both Strange Adventures as well as Rorschach. And now we are here, the next obscure character for Tom King to dive into. I'm very excited about this. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Chapter 1. When we are born. Christopher Clarence has made a living out of being a human target. A man hired to disguise himself as his client to invite would-be assassins to attempt his murder. 
he's had a remarkable career until his latest case protecting Lex Luthor when things go sideways. An assassination attempt Chance didn't see coming leaves him vulnerable and left trying to solve his own murder. As he has 12 days to discover just who the DCU hated Luthor enough to want him dead. Human Target is a hard-boiled, gritty story in the vein of classic detective noirs told by best-selling and critically acclaimed creators Tom King and Greg Smallwood. So just as excited as I am to have Tom King on this book, I'm even more excited to have Greg Smallwood, especially because they are bringing a certain... Greg Smallwood has a very distinct style. Um, he is one of a kind when it comes to his art, and bringing in super 80s concepts uh, and super 80s teams like the justice league international we're getting just we're getting some jli love um this is going to be one for the ages so definitely pick this book up but that is going to do it for this week's comics countdown to recap we have arkham city the order of the world number two teen titans academy number seven batman 116 superman 78 number three Strange Academy presents the, de- the death of Doctor Strange number one, Batman Superman the Authority Special number one, Radiant Black number nine, Dark Knights of Steel number one, Firepower number 17, and Human Target number one. And that is going to bring us to the wrap up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts itunes whatever you want to call it i will read your review here live on the podcast you can write whatever you want you give me that five star rating and review and i will read it here and you can join the likes of our almost dirty dozen including seafire nd joshua panels pixels matt draper burrito man 88 that guy brian doug from for every kind of geek don swanson mouth dork Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, and A-Lock and A-Z. I want to say a huge thank you to all of these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want maybe a quick pitch, or even some recommendations for comics we haven't covered on the podcast yet, or if you just want to request an episode, I am always taking requests. Feel free to send those in email form to geeksplained at gmail.com put mailbag in the subject header and i will read them here on the podcast our first email comes from our good buddy aaron arancha always good to hear from aaron he writes hey eric hope all is well i was just writing to say that i have been keeping up with the taylor run on nightwing and have been absolutely loving it same here So imagine my disappointment last month and this month again when I noticed that Fear State has taken over. I, being not as comic savvy as you are, had no idea this would be going on for more than an issue. Nothing against the issue, but I just can't help but feel robbed of the gorgeous Bruno Redondo art and continuation of Dick's story in Bloodhaven. Anyhow, just wrote into rant, but that being said, I am loving Bruno Redondo's art, and I was hoping you could give me some recommendations on other comics he's worked on. Much appreciated as always, Much appreciated as always, Eric. Stay safe out there. Sincerely, Aaron. Aaron, thank you again for writing in, brother. I always love hearing from you. And honestly, yes, um, 
that is the you know that is the sad part about fear state even though i've been loving the event it's that it halted the momentum of the taylor redondo nightwing book the issues themselves are good but that main storyline i'm waiting and chopping at the bit to get back to i believe we will be getting back to it next uh or this month because um i want to say fear state's wrapping up real soon we just had the uh, penultimate issue uh this we're, we're having it this week and then i'm sure two weeks from now we're going to be getting that so next nightwing issue fingers crossed will be its own issue however speaking of bruno redondo i'm a huge fan of him he is a gorgeous gorgeous art um some books that i would absolutely recommend uh suicide squad bad blood is his most recent collaboration with tom taylor they're wonderful um also check out Injustice. I think he had a couple, um, couple stints here and there on the Inju- on the original Injustice book, and then was the main artist in Injustice Two. So check out those. Um, also, I mean, he's had different stints here and there. He was the artist for the uh, Abnet. Uh, the Dan Abnett Titans book for a little bit. He had a couple issues on uh, Earth 2 Society. And I believe, let me double check here. I distinctly remember him doing a Star Wars book. Um, hold on a second. Uh, so I'm vamping here. Yes. Okay, yes, 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 yes. So this book, which is uh, a legacy title now, um, and it might be hard to find i'm not sure but he did a darth maul miniseries with tom taylor called death sentence um i don't remember exactly if the book was good or not but i'm sure that it was gorgeous to look at and of course as i've said already always trust in tom taylor so they are a one-two punch unlike anybody that's going on right now um i think they're great bruno redondo's art is wonderful if you want more bruno redondo that is definitely where to go uh we also got a an email from our boy, the real deal himself, Brian Real. He writes, Hi, Eric. Hello. He says, I hope you're well and had a very spooky Halloween. My bad for last week and not including any scary podcast suggestions. Allow me to list a few of my favorites. They range from full-casted audio dramas built around a singular story to Monster of the Week type shows with a single narrator with an overarching plot that grows throughout the show. Hopefully you and the other listeners give them a try and enjoy them. Most can be found on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Enjoy and be scared. Best, Brian. So he dropped a list here i'm going to just read the ones that he marked as the best and his favorites so malevolent a voice from darkness and the storage papers so i'm going to be checking out those three in particular though there are at least half a dozen more uh brian thank you so much he did write in last week asking if i had any scary podcasts that i like and i am totally unaware of that kind of stuff so getting this direction is very helpful brian thank you so much really do appreciate it and i'm going to be checking these out for sure but again thank you so much for both aaron and brian for writing in if you want to be part of our geek explained mailbag for next week feel free to write in to geeksplained at gmail.com put mailbag in the subject header and i will read it here finally we are online everywhere if you want to keep up to date with the podcast if you want to participate in polls that decide future episodes or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news you can find me on instagram and twitter at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained pod we also got featured really quick just want to put a plug here 
we got featured in a pretty cool little little collection of Filipino uh, focused podcasts. Let me pull this up here. We were part of a uh, group that got uh, the spotlight. Let me see here. Uh, there we are by the uh, One Down Media Network. One Down Media is a collection of um, Filipino forward uh, media. It's awesome. There are a company here in Los Angeles. They're wonderful. And uh, you might hear my voice on one of their podcasts soon. I'll keep you updated on that. But uh, podcasts that if you are a Filipino like myself and you are looking forward to checking out some that I would definitely recommend first up of course uh, Kampai this is done by Abby Passion she's wonderful it's another geek culture podcast that it's really fun um, I just think that it's awesome to see other Filipino podcasts so um, other ones that I would recommend as well uh, we have Cracking the Coconut Filipino on the Rise, This Filipino American Life, and others. Go check that out if you want to check out One Down Media. Uh, they, like I said, collected uh, our podcast. This podcast got mentioned there and led to the uh, mentioning by um, UCSB. Um, we got a spotlight on Instagram from them. So I want to say thank you to them. Thank you to One Down Media for featuring us in their collection of Filipino podcasts you should be listening to. Um, just makes my heart full. I love being part of a community. I love um, knowing that this podcast, which has been going on for four years, we've been around for a little while, is is um, is getting some recognition. Makes me happy. Makes me smile. But uh, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you to everyone who has been checking in with me. I am on the mend um, getting some tests done. I'm going in for a procedure which should hopefully give me some uh, insight onto what is going on. So that'll be later this month. I'll keep you all updated on my health stuff as we go, but I am definitely feeling a lot better. Thank you to everyone who checked in. Really, really made my day um, genuinely. So, uh, but that is going to do it for this week's episode. Next week is a very special episode. We're going to be uh, teaming up with another podcast. You might have heard of them, The Comics Collective. So tune in for that next week, talking about one of my favorite Batman stories of all time. What is it? You'll just have to tune in next week and find out. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.
the light.